Welcome, everyone, and thank you very much for joining me today for another episode of Talking Cloud. Now, you know, this is where we talk about cloud, all things cloud, anything cloud. You know, cloud is such a big word. I was just told that by our guest, and I think it's a perfect way of putting it. I'm looking forward to hearing him elaborate. Now, you know, I am no expert, but I do know where to find him, and I'm excited, man. I got a great one. This is a guy, I'm telling you, on his profile, uh, he, he's got a cloud suit on. Okay, I've had the wonderful pleasure of uh, working with him only for maybe not even a year, although he's part of an organization and works for a couple of guys I've known for more than two decades, and uh, they've done an outstanding job. In fact, my next guest was uh, at Checkpoint for a handful of years, deep into professional services before he left, and before that, he was... Uh, doing cloud business for Barclays Card. And before that, he actually had his own cloud business. He's been doing this for a long time. This is going to be a fun conversation. I'm excited. We're fortunate to have Mr. Michael Lopez, the Director of Cloud Services at Access IT Group, as our guest today. Michael, thank you very much for joining me. No, it's a pleasure to be here. Appreciate the invite. Yeah, man. So this is awesome. I was telling you earlier, I've had the awesome pleasure of knowing, you know, Joe and, and David for a long, long time and Nathan and just, you know, the whole crew. I love you guys. You've been an outstanding partner uh, for many vendors, but certainly for Checkpoint, I know. So, Mike, tell us about what you've been up to now that you're out leading cloud services at Access IT Group. Oh, it's been uh, it's been an interesting transition. It's been fun and exciting, actually, uh, to come into the the practice and established business with a great customer base, with a great industry reputation, and be able to apply what I believe and what I feel is right for our cloud customers and how to secure it the appropriate way. Uh, has been a real great opportunity. We've uh, taken advantage, unfortunately, with the, the COVID slowdown. We've taken advantage of that, and we've accelerated our partner status with both Azure as well as AWS and Google Cloud. So we've managed to achieve partner status with each, each of those three, as well as certify our entire cloud team on the practices and the and the governance that are required uh, with regards to those vendors. That's so huge, excited man. about that. That's that is that is so huge, because you know you just named off the three power companies. You know what I mean? I mean that's how I I kind of look at it. It's like those are the titans. You know, years and years ago, Michael, you'll appreciate this. Years ago, when there was this thing called OPSEC that Checkpoint had, right? Open platform security, and they had two or three or four hundred different vendors that all integrated. Not unlike. You know, not, I mean, they have far more now. They just don't have this organized practice. But, you know, back then, I used to say, you know, Checkpoint was, was the Christmas tree. And all of these vendors, all of these partners were the ornaments that hung on that tree. And I, and I just recently was telling somebody, there's a new Christmas tree in town. And it's Amazon, Microsoft, and Google. And we literally are the ornaments 
going into those environments. And you guys, I mean, it puts you in a perfect position to be the decorator, right? And continuing that metaphor. Absolutely. No, they, they definitely hold the market share and you can watch the amount of growth. It's just phenomenal. You know, I've watched it over the years. I was an early adopter and, and it's just been, it's been phenomenal to watch the enterprise adapt, adaptation here over the last couple of years and how rapidly you're seeing companies say, I'm getting out of the data center business. I've got to be in AWS or I've got to be in Azure to be relevant. And so they certainly have a market share to say the least. Everybody's got to go that way. So, you know, I agree. Uh, you know, I've often uh, spoke about the IDC conference. I was on a panel where the, the analyst said, we're all going to be moving to the cloud. Everyone, it's just going to take forty or fifty years. And I think that was a, I think that was a pretty accurate way of putting it. Really, um, it'll be at different paces. But I'm curious to hear from someone like you, who's, you know, a very technical, uh, b been in this space for a long time. What do you hear from your customers as big challenges, big obstacles? What are they wrestling with today? The biggest thing I hear is is visibility, and we don't know what we don't know. You know, the cloud is such a big word, and it's such a vast landscape that there's so much to understand about it that when you try to take a conventional on-premise security engineer and say, okay, now you have to figure out how to secure the cloud, they say, oh, okay, well, I'll apply my standard principles. But those standard principles don't always apply, and there's so many other attack vectors that are now coming into play in the cloud that you have to actually build your security stack in a different fashion. So when we say it's a big word, there's a lot of different things that can go on. How do you protect your public cloud infrastructure versus your SaaS consumption model or your private cloud? We could be talking about three different methodologies there. And what's going on inside them is also significantly different, right? I mean, are you using Lambda or some sort of functions, are serverless, containers, all these new technologies? I think a lot of companies, and I'm curious if this is happening, are, are, are waltzing into the cloud with the assumption they can apply those same principles. Case in point might be I've used a load balancer for years, Mike. I'll be able to configure that ELB, right? And not really understanding they're two different beasts altogether. Well, yeah, no, that's definitely the case. You see that quite a bit. Or you see the opposite where they're bringing the different vendor products and replacing them as virtual machines. But when we talk about things like, like serverless and Lambda and, and all the functions and features that the cloud vendors bring to us, we're realizing that they're actually replacing our own virtual machines. There's not the need to run a host-based operating system that then runs a middleware and a piece of software on top of it that then talks to a different machine and then another database. You know, we're finding that the public cloud providers are bringing us the ability to do serverless, right? Amazon just announced that they're going with no code to where you can deploy without writing code. That could be a game changer right there in and of itself. Mm. The question is, is how do you secure your code if you're not the one writing the code? which brings yet another layer of complexity into public cloud yeah. that people just aren't aware of yet. Yeah, that's fascinating. It's, you know, it's exciting the accessibility that cloud is enabling, right? I mean, come on, let's face it, man. Every guy that's or gal that has a slight inkling of uh, technology and a company credit card can spin up an account. But that's probably one of the big problems, right? Because that's occurring so often and they just have to go up and 
click together a few different pieces that work and cut a boom, they're running an app. Yeah. I mean, it's a developer's dream, right? It's, it's there. Everything's there. All the power you could ask for is there. All the code you could want is there. It's all available. There's some great how-to guides for every type of deployment you want to do that you can follow. The problem is, is that those are not written in a secure methodology. I was just having this dialogue with a colleague actually yesterday. AWS's methodology for serverless says open, create a publicly accessible S3 bucket. Well, that's the first thing I would tell you not to do. Yeah, that's interesting you say that because that really, in that statement right there, sums up the challenge customers face. Because you've got this titan of a vendor saying, do this in order to use this. And and everybody and their mothers telling you, you know, you really shouldn't do that. And uh, it's got to be really tough on customers to figure out exactly how to do it right. And then when you introduce multiple, uh, like you were saying, you guys are certified across the big three. The minute I start to have an Azure play and an AWS play, and I then try in some way to unify or harmonize, that can be challenging too, can't it? Oh, without a doubt. And one of the major things I'm seeing play out with our customers is that they'll have an AWS development team and an Azure development team. And the two don't talk. They have their own projects, they have their own business, they have their own, there's a reason that they're in AWS for something, maybe it's streaming, or maybe there's a particular thing that they need to do in AWS, but they're in Azure because they have a, a grade E5 contract with Microsoft and they're doing their typical Active Directory, typical on-premise type stuff there. They're two entirely different teams, they're two disparate teams, and they're they're obviously still responsible for the security in the environment, but now you've got security engineers and, and CISOs even concerned about how do I unify my security structure and how do I keep the stack similar? Because not all the cloud providers work the same. Yeah. So how can I keep it similar at least so that we can troubleshoot it, we can understand what's going on, and we can have the visibility we need to understand what's happening from each team. So let me ask, how influential is Microsoft and their Trojan horse office? subsequently Office 365 and so on. But how, in your opinion, I'm just curious, how big of a influence do you feel that has? How much gravity, how, how ideally placed is that fulcrum enabling them to lure more people to using Azure public cloud? Do you think that's a big deal or not? Oh, no, I think it's a huge deal. I think that once they've got the, the hook set, you know, it's just a matter of reeling the fish in at that point. Yeah. The the more services you consume, the better the pricing they give you. And they do a great job of that. And then they, again, continue to roll out however many more products, however many more competitive products. We all want it under one big roof is what you're starting to see, mm-hmm. especially with the larger enterprise agreements. Interesting. So, so the problem, though, isn't it uh, the fact that You've got different products that have different sacred cows within their offering, a la Active Directory, for example, right? I mean, Microsoft has a completely different approach. Is one better than the other from a, you know, I'm, and I'm talking about the uh, identity access management is different with AWS. They don't have AD. 
So, it, you know, w- w- does one integrate better? Do they, does one have a better story? Is it better to go with that in terms of uh, just for the authentication, but there's value in the other clouds? I'm curious to hear, where do you see the strengths, the weaknesses amongst them? Well, really, when it comes down to, to Microsoft and Azure, you definitely see the Active Directory is a very simple conversion from your traditional on-premise Active Directory. So it's an easy hook, it's an easy transition, and they make the tools available to do so. So from a simple, hey, we're going to move out to 0365, right, or we're going to we're going to move our, our we're transition Active Directory into the cloud, it's very simple to do. AWS is more built for developers, so they didn't take that enterprise mindset into play. And while their IAM roles do behave differently, they do different things and they have different capacities, such as being able to assume roles that aren't necessarily the case in Azure. Mm -hmm. It's a different methodology and it's a different play. Really what I'm seeing and what's becoming a very big concern is identity and access management overall. Some sort of third-party SSO provider, how can I use multi-factor that's true across all of my clouds? so that I can authenticate. And there's a couple of providers doing a really good job of that. Mm-hmm. Are you talking about like the Octas of the world? and Absolutely. And, you know, that type of product? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah we're definitely yeah. seeing those. Yeah, I, I agree. I think there's some interesting, there's some real interesting things happening, I guess, more in the whitewater of the wave, if you will. And I'm talking about some of the shift left development security tools that I know I've heard friends uh, working on. There's also some really exciting exploits of the serverless and, you know, speed and agility of the cloud to do some really interesting things. I think that offers a lot of promise, right? When we start to look at things differently because having the kind of bandwidth and compute at our fingertips means we can do things differently, instead of the same old way, right? Like, where does the compute take place? Exactly. Uh, There's a huge change in that, right? We're less concerned about our compute resources because we have those options today. Exactly. Exactly. Because, you know, where before, I mean, I would suggest now, if I'm going to try to crunch through a couple terabytes, it's still better done in the cloud. But if I've got a couple of gigabytes, I can certainly punch it down on my handheld, right? I mean, that's where there's a difference. Oh, without a doubt. When you talk about big data, there's really no reason not to be in public cloud at this point. Yeah. So, especially with the machine learning and AI that's coming out into play. Yeah. Some really neat things they're doing with that. And what, you know, in terms of machine learning AI, I mean, is it really, tell me how it's more than, or if I'm oversimplifying, I mean, it comes down to, it's still a human writing an algorithm, but it's just I've got so much more power, so much more data, so much more capability. I can react more quickly a la learning. I mean, well, that's what it is at scale, right? It can consume a massive amount of data, determine what it is based upon the algorithm that's preset, yeah. and then come up with the standard output. Yeah. I mean, I just, but when you don't have that capability in your your data center, and I have seen a few data centers, I've been privileged enough to be in a few that actually do have that type of capacity. Right. But they're few and far between. These are scientific type organizations. That's what they do all day. Yeah. Well, yeah, because the capacity. I mean, that's the now we're getting into one of the wonderful things about the cloud, right? It's that elastic nature. I mean, it's what we love. And boy, in the current state of affairs, I would suggest 
there's never been a time that highlights and proves the value of the elasticity in the cloud in both directions, right? Scaling up and scaling down. Correct. It's a it's a huge cost savings. It's a huge cost benefit if it's done correctly, and it really allows for you know cloud to me was always about pay for consumption. Consume as much as you want. This is what you're going to pay for. When you're done eating, you're done, and that's fine. Yeah. You've consumed everything you needed to. We'll turn the bill off. Yeah. So let's call it the uh, the let's call it the life cycle, uh, the journey from zero. I don't have any cloud at all. Literally, I just have a Facebook account at home, but you know nothing, no Dropbox, no nothing, or at least that's what they say. They they probably just don't know, <laughs> or, or you know to the other extreme. On the clients you're in, I mean, because, you know, Access IT Group, you guys been around for, you know, more than a couple decades. You've got a pretty solid reach across the Northeast and now climbing down on the, on the East Coast, right? What are you hearing from customers? Where are they on that scale from one to a hundred uh, or zero to a hundred? And what are your recommendations to, uh, are you tearing them down and rebuilding their plans? Are you saying, hey, let's start over? Uh, are they doing it right? Uh, elaborate a little bit, if you can, on what's going on out there. So it's interesting because depending on who you talk to, you know that, that number could be zero, it could be 100, and it varies. It's not saying that, hey, every Fortune 1000 already got a huge stake. They're already at 90. Every small business is at 20. There's really no rhyme or reasons the way it's been done, but we're seeing, and, and the neat thing that I've seen in the last you know six to 12 months, three years ago, I was going in and ripping out architectures and redoing them because they were so far off. They were so inca- incapable of scale. They were pigeonholed. They were built just like they were building their on-premise environments. And people, technologists, have just done a very good job of understanding the elasticity and understanding the way it's built. And so now it's more a matter of adjusting and tweaking and understanding how do I get the visibility, how do I get the controls to allow these developers that now can do anything they want at the speed of light and stay out of their way and let them push our business forward and generate revenue, but at the same time, make sure we're not leaving the back door open or for for that matter, the front door. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we hear is the what do we see? Obviously, in this, this these recent days, there's been a lot of push to the cloud, right? Everybody's pushed a lot of stuff up, can't get the data centers. There's been a major shift. Azure's con- consumption rate went up phenomenally. Hmm. Well, that's great. But what are we seeing? We're seeing that because it was a rush and a push and everything's being done so fast, it's two-week life cycles now. What happened to the security? It never went through the typical staging that we're, we were used to in on-premise. It, it wasn't always behind our typical on-premise firewall. It's just out there. Well, what's it doing? What's this Lambda function doing? And is it calling this account? Okay, it's assuming that role, but that role is way overprivileged. It shouldn't be doing that. And understanding that is the big key. And that's where I think most administrators are running into the challenge is understanding that that portion of it right now, whether it's two minutes into their cloud journey or you know a long way into it and with years of practice. There are so many links in the chain that may, in fact, potentially not be in your yard, right? I mean... Absolutely. Uh, I mean, most of them aren't. And, and in this hyper-connected, federated world where we're bouncing all around, uh, and, and I think your point on... 
uh, the verbosity or how verbose or how uh, privileged the access is, uh, developers have not generally had to worry so much about that when it's within the confines of their perimeter, right? Now it's a different world. Absolutely. And the, and we're seeing those types of attacks that go after and look for, you know, like we talked about the public has three buckets or we talked about overprivileged accounts. That's all it takes is one overprivileged account and it gives somebody control of the entire environment. And while you may not think that it had been exposed, as it turns out, your web server that wasn't well protected happened to be assuming that role. Yeah. Yeah. Just maybe, and, and we, oops, I forgot that Apache update or whatever, right? Something. That's all it takes, right? Yeah. But because of the assumed roles and the way they work in AWS, that's a big risk. And we have to make sure that we limit risk. You know, of course, we want to continue to, to push developers forward at the speed of light. I think it's great what we're doing. I love this this bridge that we're building. You know, it's always been development versus security. And, yeah. and there's been a great bridge built in the cloud to, to help them sync up. At the same time, we want to make sure that that bridge is sturdy and strong enough to get everything across both ways. And yeah. that's the key. So let me ask, if there were three things that you know you would recommend to virtually any enterprise that's in the cloud starting to get into the cloud you know what are the what are three big things that you say listen man this is what you better absolutely make sure you are doing or have some way to do or plans to do their key but before you answer i'm going to pay the bills i'll be right back okay mm-hmm. How well are you protected in the cloud? How fast do you move when the cloud moves at the speed of DevOps? And do you have the confidence you see everything you need to see, good or bad? Checkpoint Software. Cloud with confidence. See it. Control it. Secure it. All right, we're back and all my lights are still on, Mike. So what what three things are just like must do for enterprises as they move into the cloud? Well, number one for me is visibility. You have absolutely got to know what's going on out there, how it's functioning and how it's interconnected. If you don't understand that, you don't understand what's going on in your cloud and how you can secure it. If you have that type of visibility. When you say visibility, right, are you talking about just having a tool that does a span port somewhere? I mean, give me a little bit more than just visibility. I mean, I don't take binoculars out. I, I could want, what, Wireshark everywhere? What are you recommending that people do to have that kind of visibility they need? Well, you definitely have to look at a cloud security posture management. You know, you take them nine where it can map out and, and see where it does. And it's, it's a great product. It tells me where my assets are, what they do, what the connectivity is, who's talking to who, and how they can talk to each other, whether it be from the security groups, NSGs, depending on the provider, and interconnectivity, how are they reaching things? And those are very valuable assets because once you have that visibility, you can say, hey, we've got an open security group. We really need to lock this down. Or you can say, well, look, I can see that X is talking to Y and it's not supposed to. We need to make sure that we don't have this type of connectivity. Yep. Without that visibility, you can't make that control and you can't make that call And as a, as a CISO, right? You have to make that decision at some point in time. Yep. You have to make an educated decision, in my opinion. So you've got to have a visibility to do so, right? Data matters. Yep. So number two for me, identity and access management. Who's got control over what and least privileged possible? Those are the biggest things we're seeing in hacks these days. Every, every malware takes advantage of it. 
this is what you know the bad guys are going after compromised credentials is just such a an easy target unfortunately yeah so identity and access management control is just huge under you know overprivileged accounts get taken advantage of how they're logging in I, you got to have MFA. How do you not have MFA in today's day and age? Yep. I remember the days where we had to have the key, right? And it was tough and it was, you know, the RSA keys and only certain yes. people got those because it only mattered because you only needed 10 people that actually needed them. Today's day and age, everybody's got an, an access needs to have that type of, yep, you know, absolutely. multi-factor authentication. And, yes, yeah. And I was just going to say, we're talking multi-factor just for anybody that's not familiar with the acronyms. So, Visibility with a tool that can really show you the interplay on what's going on. Tool like Dome 9, thank you. Didn't look for a plug, but we'll take it. And then identity and access management. And I'm curious, I want to pull on that a little bit. I've heard the supposition that in the future in cloud and, you know, just in general, everything is going to have an identity. I mean, everything from a function, every single asset, everything's going to have an identity so that you can really, with a very fine grain, have least privilege for each one of the components that you need to talk with and interface with. I'd be curious what you think of that. Well, technically, they actually already do. It's just a matter of how we're applying them. And we're not seeing that application trickle all the way down to the finite fine comb level. We're seeing, you know, roles applied at the subscription level or we're seeing, you know, we're seeing roles applied at the at the resource group level. We're seeing roles applied all the way down to the instance level or even in the container level. But that's where we start getting into everything really does have an identity already. It's just a matter of how are we looking at them and how are we understanding them. And that's a that's a black hole, really, in a large enterprise environment to go back and make that audit and understanding. The only way to do that is with automation and a tool to, to really understand where these these machines and these identities could potentially be compromised. Got it. Okay, was that all three? No, that was two. It was visibility and access. Yeah. So we got two. We got visibility. We got identity and access. And the third? Commitment. What do you mean? It's commitment to your cloud. So if you're going to move into the cloud, you have to say, okay, we're going to make this spend while we're making the transition. We are going to transform our applications from the old legacy monolithic applications to microservices and containers or whatever it might be. But you have to make a commitment to it. You have to take the time to educate your team, get them the education they need, or at least bring in the consultants to bring, provide that level of education. Give them that jump start. Don't allow your team to fumble, stumble, and fall around for some time and then come back to them 18 months later and say, wow, you know, this cloud project's not done yet. Why is it not done? Say, well, because we've been doing cloud for 18 months now. Mm. You've got to take advantage of the education that's out there. And, you know, the, the big three do a great job of getting the education out there. It's free. It's there. Sign up. Go take the classes. Yeah. They're available. You know, Abundantly. You know, I, I mean, there's tons, firm, right? There's does, tons yeah, our, that are our, free or near free. Yeah. I mean, our firm does training for, for customers. And how do you understand this? We build out a lab. Make sure you can touch it, play with it, break it, understand it for your environment. How does this integrate? Why is routing different in Google Cloud versus Azure, for example, you know, in a multi-cloud environment so that we can give them a jump start and we get that education. But that's true also for development, right? I talked about that bridge. 
let the developers take advantage of their skill set. These guys are great. You know, I got a lot of respect for what they're doing and the way they're adapting to the way code changes so fast and the different things they can do. But take the time to educate them and provide them the tool sets to check in their code that says, hey, you're calling an admin role here for this particular EC2 instance. Do you really want to assign this or not? Show them and teach them so that your journey to the cloud. Absolutely. That's it. That, That commitment to your cloud and your people is really what's going to drive your success in the digital transformation era. Man, I tell you, the word commitment to me, I think is so spot on, Mike. I really do. I think that's just really spot on. And what I think about for a time in high school, I know a long time ago, I I actually uh, used to do springboard diving. And if anybody's ever done springboard diving, they understand when you're doing a reverse two and a half, you have to commit or you're going to get hurt. You know, an inward uh, one and a half pike, you have to commit. And uh, it can be scary. But I think uh, that when you really commit, that's when you uh, have the discipline to keep the form, to stay in the tuck until the last minute so you don't blast your head on the board. I've done that. Uh, and so that's what I think of when I think of commitment. Uh, but I think it's accurate because commitment means making sure you invest in, teach people the nuances and the subtleties and the differences, educate them on how to use the tools, commitment to get the new tools. Because we're in an era where, remember virtualization? I know you do. We needed mm-hmm. new tools back then, right? V, uh, Inter-VM communications and vMotion. Well, I always say we're there again. It's just it's just worse. It's exacerbated. And I so I need new tools. Nothing I can't stop doing the stuff I've been doing, but I certainly need new tools to enable me to take full advantage and as you accurately put, to to move at the speed of light, to move at the speed of cloud. Yeah, that's definitely, it's an interesting analogy. I really like that one. I usually relate it to my fitness journey. A lot of people know I'm a fitness enthusiast and I know that my commitment to my weight training requires A, committing to the lift, B, committing to the hours, C, committing to my diet and my meal plan, what I ingest, D, committing to the amount of water intake, and they all go together. If you only do some of it, sure, you'll get some results, don't get me wrong, but if you do all of it and you commit to it, you can see rapid results and change and that's what organizations are looking for out of cloud right now is change. Yeah, boy, such an accurate, accurate analogy. I couldn't agree with you more. It is all of those things, right? It's not just any one of them. I think that's sage advice. Uh, Absolutely. Mike, this has been terrific, and I really appreciate you taking time out of your day. I know it's the end of your day. We're getting uh, keeping you from probably getting back to your family. So thank you very, very much. Uh, really I appreciate, appreciate the invite. Yeah, man, this was a great, insightful advice. Frankly, I thought uh, really, really good, especially the commitment. I think that was, was really, uh, I think that's a spot-on recommendation. So you can get a hold of Mike at uh, Access IT Group. Uh, they're a great organization. I got to put a plug in for them as well. So any final well, words or comments, uh, Mike, that you'd like to share with everybody before we split? Well, when we talk about commitment, right, we talk about that commitment and the journey. Yeah, I wish everybody the best of luck in their cloud journey. But at the same time, don't be afraid to ask for help. 
we didn't get to where you got to in your current role today without somebody else helping you. It's okay to ask for help. And it's okay to reach out to your trusted partners and vendors and say, hey, listen, we just don't understand. We need a little bit of help. And that's what that's what these guys are here for. They're specialists everywhere. Take advantage of them. That's what they're there for. Don't be afraid. Yeah, man. No, no doubt. And, and, and you know, God, I heard this just the other day that the lifespan of a company on the S&P 500 is is like squishing down to like 20 and 30 years when it used to be like 50, 60 years, right? Everything is just hyper compressed. Change is hyper compressed and it's tough to keep up. And, and I think that that's also really a good recommendation. Don't be afraid to reach out to Mike and his team. So with that, again, Mike, thanks thanks a ton, man. We'll have you back, okay? Thanks. I appreciate it. All right. It's been a pleasure. Thank you all very much for listening and subscribing. Tell your friends, share, and uh, we'll look forward to having you back listening on the next episode of Talking Cloud. Yeah.